0: Well, his pastor says, good morning, but I'll say it in Hebrew, "Bonkertove," tov, good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I hope you're here tonight because uh, we want to talk about uh, his land and his people and some of the things that I want to bring out tonight about uh, the blessings and the judgments to see how it applies to in the past, the present, and the future. I hope you'll be here Give God this day, be in his house, and you know what? You'll be in listening distance to hear the voice of God. Isn't that wonderful? To be in listening distance to hear his voice. Because he wants to speak to you, wants to instruct you, he wants you to be encouraged, he wants you to worship him. So it's very important that we give him his day. That's not much to give to God. But how wonderful it is, we've been singing about it this morning about God and and His greatness and His glory, such a blessing to my heart. And and from my heart, I was worshiping the Lord. And that's what it's all about, that we give Him first place in all things. I want to give a report. First of all, my wife and I have been working amongst the Jewish people for many, many years, over 50 years. And as the Lord gives us the strength, we want to continue on in our service to the Lord. If I had to dig ditches, I would have been retired long ago. But I only use my minds and my hand, my minds and my hand, my mind. And uh, so therefore, uh, the Lord has allowed me to to keep on keeping on uh, serving the Lord. And that's exactly what we're doing. In the recent years, the Lord has uh, put us in Florida because of some physical reasons. But also, I believe that the Lord has led us and guided us there. I'm teaching at a school on uh, different subjects about Israel, and uh, it's not a paid job, but uh, I sure get paid when I see the response of the people uh, putting to practice the things that we've been teaching them, uh, how to reach out to the Jewish people and to hear their contacts. I think of one by the name of Ann, and uh, she has an unsaved uh, son-in-law and I've never seen a woman so zealous to try to win this man to Christ. And uh, he opposes the Gospel. His uh, father is very uh, much against the Gospel as well. And uh, two, uh, she has two grandchildren, and of course uh, she longs to teach them the things of the Lord. And uh, they're always opposing um, of her getting around them and being too long with her lest uh, she may say something that would cause them to gravitate toward Christianity. And so uh, we just thank the Lord for her witness and her testimony, the the zeal that she has and for the others. And then our ministry uh, in the summertime, we're up here and trying to reach out as well. And the Lord has allowed us for many, many years to be in the Middle East, to be in Israel. And uh, we usually go at least once or twice a year over there to witness and to testify for him as well. And it's been a rich blessing. We have many, many friends in Israel. You know, some people talk about going to a foreign country. Israel is not a foreign country to us any longer. It's like going to another state, that's all. And uh, we have so many, many dear friends that we've been talking to them about the things of the Lord and God has given us great opportunities over there. We were due to go back September the 10th of this year but uh, because of the illness of my dear wife, uh, uh, we're not able to uh, keep that commitment at the present time. My wife has been going through a a real struggle physically. As most of you know, she has liver cancer and uh, this has been very devastating even with what they've been trying to help her to stay alive, Uh, been very uh, devastating to her physically, and so she needs a lot of prayer. The other day, she went to visit our daughter, which is in the hospital because of a replacement of valves in her heart, that uh, she fell in a restaurant and went flat on her face and stayed that way for about 20 to 30 minutes uh, for the ambulance to get there, and we had to take her off in an ambulance to the hospital. And so uh, today, she said to me, I can't go to the house of the Lord, you know, because her face is all colors. And uh, so she's quite swelling uh, in that, but nothing as far as injury to the head or uh, to the neck in any area. So we praised the Lord. And then, of course, uh, you know, in February, we had the death of our oldest daughter, Mary Ann. I remember my professor in school Uh, I used to talk to him about things about our lives and everything. He'd ask about it as well, and uh, everything seemed to be going rosy, and he said, "Uh, everything's going rosy in your life. I said, yeah, the Lord has been blessing in a wonderful way. And he said, well, he said, "Uh, praise the Lord. Well, the next time I was with him, I was telling him about uh, all the problems I was having So you know what he said to me? Well, it's about time. He said, if everything goes rosy in your life, I'd be wondering about you. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, Brother Myers, we're in a battle against principalities and powers that are arrayed against us and they're fighting against us, not only mentally, spiritually, and physically. And uh, so these things are good for you in your life. And out of it, there'll be things that will honor the Lord. And how true that is in all of this sickness of my wife and my children and everything, the opportunities to talk to people about the Lord, nurses and doctors and people that are visiting, the people in the the hospitals. It's just opening up doors. And then when we were down in Florida and and she had a a couple stays there in the hospital, uh, many of our our people from our local assembly where we attend were there and sometimes we had 20 to 30 people in a room that we're there to strengthen our hands. It's just been so wonderful to see their faith in action. We've seen great things done during this period of time. So this is not a bad thing. It's something that God has allowed us, he's entrusted to us, these things. And so we're looking to the Lord. It's exciting to see how all is gonna turn out, but whether by life or by death, we're his, we're in his hands and we wanna leave it there. Now I'd like you to take your Bibles with me this morning. I wanna talk about uh, new garments. And uh, before we do that, uh, you go to Zechariah chapter three, I wanna read uh, Hebrews chapter five. We had the reading in Hebrews chapter eight, which was a very wonderful, precious reading about how God gives an exchange to the nation of Israel, old covenant, new covenant, the old covenant, didn't really kosher the hearts. It wanted to change their hearts and everything, but it didn't. The New Covenant changes your heart. Therefore, any man being Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, everything becomes new. And in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gift and sacrifices first sin. Now, if you'll go to that Zechariah passage, Zechariah chapter 3, this is a beautiful portion of the promise that God has made, especially for the nation of Israel. I hope you can be excited for them as well as we're excited of the promises of God for ourselves. I am. I'm really excited at what's going to happen to Israel and to see a difference and a change in their lives because I realize that this is the land that God has chosen, and they are the people that God has chosen. Now I want you to notice in this, and by the way, if you can listen very intently, you'll notice that all of these things that I develop in this message are with R's, the letter R. Notice first of all he says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before an angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Here we see uh, that it's brought out a very important thing about pertaining to the nation of Israel because this high priest does represent the nation of Israel. That's the one. He stands in the gap for them. There are some that believe that uh, God is through with Israel because uh, they disobeyed God, but in the scriptures, even though they were disobedient, remember he loves them with an everlasting love. And the word everlasting there in Jeremiah is the word olam. It means that the same as God is everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. So therefore, and he loves them with that type of love of who he is, so it doesn't cease even though they sinned against God. He still loves them with an everlasting love. And He is the one that God raised up. A lot of times when I'm talking to the uh, people about that Christ is the Messiah and Savior, they say, well, uh, we don't need Jesus. We go directly to God. But they haven't read the Old Testament scriptures because when He set up the tabernacle, He set up men that would be serving in the tabernacle. And one of them was, Uh, the high priest. He was very important to the nation of Israel. He is literally the mediator between them and and, and the God of Israel. And he is the one that went into the holies of holies once a year, never without blood, to atone, to make an atonement for the people. So you see, the Jewish people, when they say that to me, I say, you haven't read the Bible. Because if you read the Kumish, the first five books of the Bible, which they believe is the inspired portion of the Word of God, they would find out that uh, God raised up a man that would go into his presence once a year and never without blood because it was the blood that makes the atonement for the soul. And he was the high priest. And uh, in the Old Testament, he instructs them how to prepare garments for him and that they were to follow exactly according to the making which he has showed them. And that's exactly what they did. They made these beautiful garments with a miter on their head and the bonnet and the ephod and the breastplate and and the robes and all of that and the, the bells and the pomegranates at the, at the ends of his garment and all of that. He was uh, something to behold in all of great beauty that men would behold in seeing Him. He was the High Priest. He was very important to them to reach God. This was God's prescribed and described way that they would go through this means. And so we find here in this portion of Scripture that uh, once again, he talks about the High Priest. And at that particular time, it was Joshua was his name. Quite interesting, Yahshua or Yeshua. There's a variant in that which would be also the name of Jesus. You know, remember the Bible says in Romans 16, what was ever written beforehand was written for our learning. That's important that we understand that so we can apply many of these things that I'm talking about this morning, even to us, as we'll see as we go along. But here in the scriptures, he has the one who is uh, the representative of the nation of Israel. Another thing, uh, he's standing, he's accountable to the nation of Israel. And on that day of atonement, really when he went into the holies, of holies, even though they would bring their animal before that to the, uh, the door of the tabernacle, place their hands on the animal to transfer their guilt to the innocent animal. It's the innocent suffering for the guilty. And then the animal would be killed, and it would be the substitute, the sacrifice that God accepted under Old Testament economy. And he would stand there and uh, he would be accountable and he'd transfer his sins. Here now we see the high priest would accept these offerings and he now would have to go before God. But what he would be doing before God is the sins that were unknown, that they didn't make mention of, that they didn't ask for forgiveness that he would be the one that would come before God and take care of all of these unknown sins. And so he stands and he's before the angel of the Lord. Now this is not a created being. This angel is the unique angel that appears to Hagar. And Hagar realized that that angel that appeared before him was God. You see, in the Bible, if you read the Old Testament, there is a God that you can see and there is a God that you can't see. The God that you can see is the angel of the Lord. But Jehovah God himself is the God, because the Bible says no man's seen God at any time. So therefore, you have two person, personalities as mentioned. And one is called the angel of the Lord. He's the one that after they brought them out of Egypt, he went before them. And when the Egyptians were pursuing him, he went behind them and he protected the nation before and behind. And he's the one uh, that uh, led and guided them all the way through the wilderness. This is not a created being. In Hebrew, the word is Moloch, And it's quite interesting in Jewish tradition, and I bring this out because our authority is not traditions of men, not even the Talmud. But nevertheless, the people that accept that when I'm trying to reach them to show them uh, that what they said about it, these elderly men that interpreted the first five books of the Bible, that we can say in this area, we're positive and agree, others we don't. And that's how I use the Talmud uh, when I'm talking and dealing with the Jewish people. But this angel, they know is not a created being, in fact, Eventually he appears, according to the town, in heaven and he's seated, get this, he's seated at the right hand of God and guess what he's doing? Just like you would say. What is he doing? Ever living to what? Make intercession for us. The Jewish people believe that this angel that was on earth that led the children of Israel out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness and brought them into the promised land was Moloch, the angel of the Lord. This is a, a way of appearance of an anthropomorphic appearance of Christ. He's the angel. He's the one that's at the right hand of God ever living to make intercession for us. So he's responsible and he stands before the Lord. And then you'll notice it says "And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. We find that there's great resistance. This is the nation of Israel he's representing. And he's standing and pleading in behalf of his people, the nation of Israel for them, praying for them. Satan is the conflict. And you know that really goes back to Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? After man had sinned, there was the great conflict. And we read Genesis chapter 3 about the fall of man and Satan, the subtlety, the way he approached the woman and eventually Adam and Eve had fallen and had to be cast out of the garden. Ever since that time, because you see, when God created Adam, He made him the federal head of creation. He's the one that named all the animals. He's the one that God said that would be in charge of all these animals and that how He was to take care of the earth, He was the federal head. That first Adam lost his federal headship. Satan subtly grabbed it away from him. And then, since then, we know that there's been a conflict constantly. And therefore, there's a constant conflict. Because it says in Genesis 3.15, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. Conflict, satanic conflict. And that's very true of the nation of Israel. Just think of their history, think of all the nations that have hated the nation of Israel. It's always been conflict because you see back of all of this is Satan. He doesn't want this chosen nation to continue to abide. He doesn't want them to occupy the land that he gave to the nation of Israel. And there's conflict. And he's standing at the right hand of God to resist him. Of course, you think of Job and how he went into the presence of God and was conflict as well. And that's exactly what we see here, the representative uh, that's before the Lord, that there's also the conflict of the nation of Israel. And then in verse 2, it says, and the Lord, here is the name, the sacred name of God that's not pronounced by the Jewish people. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee. And that's the only one that can give us the victory, O Satan. Even the Lord, and notice what it says here, hath chosen Jerusalem, rebuke thee. You see, out of all the places on the face of the earth, there's one place that God has chosen above all other places on the face of the earth and that is Jerusalem. It's not Rome, it's Jerusalem. In fact, when you go into the scriptures, you'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we won't turn because of time, but uh, he warns the nation of Israel that when they worship God that they can't make their altars, their places of worship in any place but only the place which God would choose. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, if you read that text, you'll find that he mentions it five or six times to emphasize to Israel, you can't put up your altars here and there, you can't make these groves, you can't have the same kind of system and look of the idolatrous system. You must follow my directions and only then. Then you read a little bit later that during the days of David when he wanted to build the house of the Lord he also got the instructions of the exact place where would be the center of God's worship in Jerusalem. And we find that it's in relationship to when David sinned in numbering the people. The enemies were arrayed against him. Remember, there's always resistance against the nation of Israel. And so therefore, uh, he was concerned about building a tabernacle and he was told that he couldn't do it. But just prior to that time he did something that was terrible and in 2 Samuel chapter 24 it talks about how he had sinned against the God of heaven and earth and therefore the uh, prophet comes to him and tells him that this is a very devastating thing to God and there's a consequences that has to be paid because you didn't follow the true and living God when I told you not to number the people, that you were to trust in me. And so therefore, uh, God gave him a kind of a multi-choice. Uh, and one of the choices was that he'd let God do it and punish him, not be in the hands of the enemies. He'd rather see the mercies of God than the wrath of men. And so therefore, in Second Samuel 24, it talks about the angel of death. His name is Muvas in Hebrew. And Malakamuvas started his judgment and he went to the top of what they call Dan, the Tel Dan up there, and he started his judgment. And he came down along the Mediterranean coast, passed by Jerusalem and went down south to Bathsheba, which is in the Negev. And then after that, and as he was going down, people were dying, people were dying. And he finally came through down by Beersheba and came to a valley called the Ariva. And they went up the midst of the Ariva which is up by the Dead Sea and going up. And then on the east side he turned and he went into Jerusalem. And all along the way people were dying. Over 70,000 people perished because of the sin of this man. And as he got over the place of a threshing floor of ornan the jebusite that's when god said stay the plague it is accomplished and as i mentioned over 70,000 people died at that time and then he says there you're to build my place of worship and in second chronicles chapter 3 verse 1 he brings it out to david his desire to build the tabernacle he says The place that you purchase from Ornan the Jebusite is the place, the threshing floor, is the place where I will dwell. So God has shown that he's chosen Jerusalem. This is his place, and the nation of Israel was to dwell in this place. But sad to say, because of their sins, they got scattered. In fact, this whole book of Zechariah has been thinking about the past and rebukes them for the sinfulness of the nation, that really they earned their own judgment to go into captivity. And as they go into this captivity, uh, he reminds them uh, that uh, because of their sins they were carried off. But the prophet Daniel got a word from God and told him that, well, it will be a release. In fact, also, the prophet Jeremiah told how long that that judgment would be. And it was 70 years. They went into captivity. And at the end of 70 years, they would be released. And so therefore, God was true to His word. He releases the Jewish people. Now this portion here is talking about that period of time and beyond that period of time. And I'll tell you the reason why in a few moments. And we find here in, in the scriptures, that uh, God said that this is the chosen place of God, that there, He was to place His name there. And uh, so we know that uh, this, according to what God says, is the chosen uh, place for Israel. Notice it also says, is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? So we find here uh, not only uh, resistance and recognition, but we also find that they're plucked out of the fire. This shows redemption. How wonderful that this priest that represents the nation of Israel is now standing before them and the way that he's standing before them, we'll find out in verse 4 that his garments, those beautiful garments that I tried to express some way to you, are soiled and is trying to show us in the book of Zechariah that the sin caused the captivity. And God looked at the high priest and said that the garments are stained because of the sin in their lives. And even though God is promising to forgive them and to redeem them, nevertheless he brings out the condition of the nation of Israel. And he says that they are stained garments and he he stands before the Lord. All of our sins we are accountable before God. And then you'll notice he goes on to say, take away the filthy garments from him. How wonderful of the wonderful message of God in the midst of a sinful people, of a man that represented the people before God in their sinful condition, our raiment. Bible says all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. And how wonderful the grace of God It's showing the riches of God's grace. In the midst of sinfulness, God can forgive sins. And He's willing to forgive the nation of Israel. In fact, you know what He says in the Old Testament? Far as the east is from the west, I'll remove them. He goes on to say, it's buried in the depths of the deepest sea. Isn't it wonderful? We've sinned against God and God is willing, if we look to Him, To forgive us. Our clothes, our lives have been stained with sin. And yet God is willing to remove the iniquity. How wonderful to realize we're forgiven people when we put our faith and trust in the one true and living God. And this is exactly what he's saying to Israel. He looks upon him in his sinful condition and yet he cries out, remove the iniquity. Forgive them of their sins. And only God can do that. It takes the hand of God. It takes the love of God. It takes the action of God in order for this to be done. Because none of us by any means, by our mitzvahs, whatever they may be, good works, we, we can come before God and have our sins forgiven. It cannot be. We have to really put our trust in him alone. And so therefore we see this thing. And I wanna go back in verse two a little bit. It says, is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? How wonderful to realize that God is salvaging the nation of Israel. When it talks about being plucked out of the fire, I've used this quite extensively when I was in the Yom Kippur War. I think I told you this before, but when I came out of the tent down in Sinai, um, this uh, tank corps man looked at me and I had a white uniform on because I worked at, also at Hadassah Hospital in, in Jerusalem during the war. And he looked at me and he says, what in the world is this? I said, well, I, I, I'm a volunteer. And I said, do you want to see my papers? He says, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not questioning that. Just, I'm surprised to see you here. He said, don't you see all these boys around here? They've all got their uniforms on and you have a white one on. You look like a sore thumb sticking out. I said, oh, maybe so, but I'm down here because I believe that this is the fight that I want to be in because I believe this is the land of the Jewish people and I believe that I'm willing to give my life for that, not just to say it with my mouth but believe it. And uh, that's exactly what I was doing down there was to stand by the nation of Israel because I believe that is the chosen people. I believe Jerusalem is theirs and not anybody else's. And all the nations that have trampled upon the soil of Israel and destroyed Jerusalem, and that's been done over 51 times, the nation of Israel has been besieged more than that. Nevertheless, it's the place that God has chosen to place His name there. And that belongs to the nation of Israel and they're the ones that have the title deed, the Bible is their title deed to this very land. We'll see that tonight as I talk more about this and what's happening presently today. But here in the scriptures, uh, talks about the nation of Israel being plucked out of the fire and I think of the Inquisitions, the things that have happened, World War II and so many of the things that have happened to the nation of Israel and God says in spite of all this, notice they're plucked out, they're saved out from it. So in spite of the judgment and all the things that have happened to the nation of Israel, there is the riches of the grace of God that God is demonstrating to the Jewish people. And this tank corps man said to me, you think we're going to lose? And I said, no, we're not going to lose. How can you be so positive? Because I base my promises on God's word, the Jewish scriptures. And the Jewish scripture says in Jeremiah, if the sun, the moon, and the stars cease to shine, then I'm through with Israel. And then he goes on to say, if you can remove the foundation of the earth, Israel is finished. So you see, it's an impossibility to be able to do these things. God was showing these signs to the nation of Israel that they're anchored in the promises of God. And here in this scripture, we find how God, in all of His riches, in all of His greatness and His glory, is interested and concerned for the nation of Israel. Then I want you to notice He goes on to say here in verse 4, And He answered and spake unto those that stood by Him, saying, Take away the filthy garments uh, from Him. And unto him he said, Behold, I've caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. How wonderful. Sins forgiven. How wonderful. You know what? The night that I accepted the Lord, um, I was—I uh, didn't have a car. I was a young boy. And uh, I started to go home, and I got so excited, I started to run. I started going faster and faster. I used to like to run and run in races with all of my peers around there. We used to have races and everything. That night I was running, but I was not only running, I was leaping. And I, uh, you know, I used to like to leap a little bit because I thought if I, maybe I can get airborne. And so therefore I tried and, and yeah, I'd go up hills like that and uh, try to get airborne, everything. I, I just wanted to fly, and that was in my imagination. And I tried and so, so when I would do that, sometimes I could hang there for quite a while, at least the same. It was only a moment, but I thought it was quite a while that I'd hang and I and like that. That night I was flying and hanging and praising God and then I said you're no longer all over the earth. I know you're there but you're in my heart now. What a difference it made in my life. at 16 years old when Christ came into my life and I've been leaping ever since from one continent to the other telling people about the good news of salvation and we find here in the scriptures that he says to take away the filthy garments. And then notice he says, I will change, I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. You know, after you accept Christ as your savior, a development begins to take place in your life. And what should happen is exactly what Paul says. You were and now what you are. The old things have to pass away. Everything has to become new. You see the changes inwardly. You see it. People see it outwardly. And you become a living epistle known and read of all men. If this is happening, if you really allowed Him, you know, there are a lot of people that said they would, but they never really allow Him. If you really allow Him, you'll love His Word, you'll be in His house, you'll witness, you'll testify for God. That's what you'll do. And you'll share your faith everywhere. Wherever you go, you'll do it. And you'll be in the house of God because you love the people of God, you love the worship, you love the music. You want to be here, and it should be the first thing in our lives at all times. You know, I've tried, I've said that to myself, that's what I need. And for many, many years, I've been saved since 1947 when Christ came into my life, and it made the difference. A lot of time has passed by, and I'll tell you, he's real, he's real, and he's in my heart. He wants to be in yours. He wants to do this for you like He wants to do for Israel where He says, I'll take away the iniquity and I'll give you a new heart. Then notice what He says in verse 5, and He said, let them set a fair miter upon His head. So they set a fair miter upon His head and clothed Him with garments. And notice it says, and Malak the angel of the Lord stood by. He's still accountable before God. And it's this angel that gave the, me- the message to forgive sins and give Him new garments. In Christ new garments because that word angel is in reference to Christ that's why I said it and it says a new miter and by the way this same kind of garments of the new and change of raiment is wonderful the Jewish people believe that there's going to be new garments and so they're feverishly preparing in fact they're already made the priestly garments for the future future the third temple are already made you can see them in the Temple Institute and you can see all of the garments that they have and they're making the linen garments for the Levitical priesthood that will be serving in the temple because these Jews are going back unregenerated to the land of Israel and they're going back under Old Testament economy and they're going back to temple sacrifices and how do I know that? I have witnessed with my eyes. I have seen these garments. In fact, you know this mitre that it talks about here upon the head that goes right here? I, back in 1991, I was able to handle a lot of those things, bring it out, uh, they have them in a, a cabinet today. I brought them out, and before our people that were with us, I'd show them about these things, and the one about holiness unto the Hashem was there. How wonderful uh, to, to feel it. Someone said, "We well, didn't get zapped, huh? I said, no, I didn't get zapped. Because according to Jewish law, uh, they're still not totally kosher yet. But there are the garments and God says in the scriptures, he's going to give them new garments. Far greater, by the way, than even the garments that they've made. God is going to give it to them. And then notice, and it says, and the angel of the Lord, again, that's Moloch, protested unto Joshua saying, now notice he says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou will walk in my ways. If thou will keep my charge, then shalt thou judge my house and shall also keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among those that stand by. He not only gives a new raiment, we not only see the riches of his grace, we see also uh, how he says, if you'll follow me that you'll have future administration in my work, in my kingdom. And for Israel, that's exactly during the millennial reign, they will be the temple, and they'll enter into that blessing. Why? It's because the angel of the Lord forgives them of their sins. The angel of the Lord is going to be the one that their eyes will be opened, that they will know that that one is the Christ. And he promises this, that he will do this. Quickly, we've got to go on because of the time, but I want you to notice another thing. Now in verse 8, he says, Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. And then notice what he brings out here, for behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. This is a title in reference to the Messiah. Remember, it's the angel of the Lord. Now here in the scriptures, That he's talking about the key thing of all of this that makes it possible for sins to be forgiven, to be in new clothing that God will give in all of this. And I think of this, of the change in Christ and all of that as well. It says here, behold, I'll bring forth my servant, the branch. You know, he talked about that branch by the prophet Isaiah. Will you hold your hand there and go to Isaiah 42, chapter 42. And I want you to notice what he has to say here. Isaiah 42, verse 1, behold, you don't get the impact, but the word behold is the word hine, and it means stop, take notice, listen intently, behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. This is a prophetic portion of scripture of introducing the servant, the shamans of God. And if you'll notice what he says about him in in this verse, he's uh, the elect of God, God delights in him, and I'll put my spirit upon him, the Holy Spirit, and he'll bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. That's exactly what was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember at the baptismal? There was the voice from heaven, what was that voice? I delight in Him. The Spirit of God resting upon Him, what was at the baptism? The hovering over Him, the fluttering, it's very interesting, the hovering. It's the same thing of back in Genesis about creation, hovered, same word. And so therefore it's talking about, and they He'll bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. I read Isaiah chapter 9, He went into the area of Zebulun and Naphtali and he ministered to the Gentiles, that's, that servant is Christ. The Jewish people are trying to say, the rabbis right now are saying, this is not Christ, this is a servant of Israel. But if you go on and read the rest of the chapter, when it talks about Israel as a servant, it talks about them just like Joshua or Zechariah points out, they're in filthy garments. Because it talks about Israel, that they're worm, that they're sinful, they're not following God at all. That can't refer to this servant. It means Israel is the nation that God used, the seed of the woman, through them the Messiah would come. And that branch that he's talking about is the one in Isaiah uh, chapter 11 of the stem of Jesse, the miraculous way in which God's Messiah would come into the world. And he's saying here in this beautiful portion, I'll bring forth my servant, the branch. And in the fullness of time, the one who really made it possible for all of our sins at all times can be forgiven, is in that branch, that servant. By the way, he lived in Nazareth. You know what the word Nazareth means? Branch. You know what the branch is talking about? It's talking about a twig that's in a dry ground that would, in a way, humanly speaking, be dead. But God uses the resurrection through the Messiah, the servant of God. And that's what he's bringing out in this chapter. Now I want you to notice a few other things and we'll be done. Notice, go back to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I'll engrave the engravings thereof, saith the Lord of hosts. Then he says, I will remove, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. I think of Israel, I think of the land. There's more blood to spend shed on that land than any other place in the world, down through the years. I just have to go to a place called Herzl Cemetery. And I see all the bodies of soldiers and, and have died that have fought in the wars. And even before that, during the time back 2,000 years ago, the much blood of the Jewish people when Titus and his army destroyed the nation, a lot of blood that has flowed on this land, lots of death constantly on this land and yet God says I'll remove the iniquity of that land one day. You see this high priest is not only thinking of after the Babylonian captivity of forgiving them and bringing them back but it projects into the future that He'll remove the iniquity of that land. That iniquity has not been removed. They're still in sin. They need a Savior. They're trusting in all of their works, which God says is unacceptable before God. They need a Savior, and the Bible is promised in one day, oh, how wonderful to see Jewish people doing the most Jewish thing, to accept Christ into their hearts, real joy to see them come to know the Lord. We've seen that in our ministry, and it's wonderful. But how wonderful it is, the nation that is blinded today. The scales will be off their eyes, and they'll behold him. So this one day is pointing to the day, the day about the nation coming to know the Lord. How do I know that? Well, if you'll go a little further to Zechariah chapter 12, I want you to notice what he says here in verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Now notice what it says, They shall look upon me, what, that were pierced, Messiah was pierced. You know that piercing is talking about crucifixion, this is a prophecy that the one day there's one that they'll look to that was pierced. Who was pierced? That was Moloch, the angel of the Lord. He's the one that removed the iniquity in one day, one event. And how wonderful it is. We don't have a cross I don't think here in the back where we attend they have a cross. But You know when I look at that cross I think of the Hebrew letter, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Because the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, back during the time of Pesach, it looked like a cross. Today it looks like an N. And in the bottom on the left side, there's a a line. That's the word Tav today. But back those days, and the applying the blood to the doorpost was here and here and here. And they went in. The way of the cross led them to have forgiveness. It meant redemption for them. And God says in his word, in one day I'll remove it. So there's a great blessing of God in the new garments of the new life that they'll have with God. There's a day when it'll happen. And when it'll happen, when they recognize the one that was pierced. And then he goes on to say in this scripture, Then they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for one as one mourneth for and it's very interesting. In the Hebrew, there's the word Yachid. Yachid is mean absolutely only one. God had only one son. And they're going to look. The one that was pierced. It's a look and a live. It's trusting Christ. And if you do, you get new garments. You're forgiven. You're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We ought to worship God today for this. We're forgiven. We have new no garments in Christ. And there's a day coming for the nation of Israel. And it says here, and they shall be in bitterness for him as one is bitterness for his firstborn. I believe when it talks about that one day, it's talking about one day. There is a song that we sing one day. I can't remember all the words of this. One day, he fled up Calvary's mountain. One day for you and for me. Let's go back and we'll finish. Zechariah and he says now he's going to remove their iniquity in one day and then he says and in that day saith the Lord of hosts shall every man his shall, and he shall call shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree this last hour is rest but it's more than that I believe it's a real shalom that's going to last forever That's what God wants to give, peace within our hearts. And he's going to do it for Israel. It's most assuredly. And I said to that man down at Sinai, God has promised removal of sin if you'll only put your trust in the one that was pierced. That's true today. He can remove your sins. He wants to clothe you with garments, new garments, and be new in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we worship you today. We praise you. Thank you for this wonderful portion, what you're going to do for Israel. You're going to change them. They're going to look to you. They're going to mourn and be sorry for their sins and the sins of its people that have down through the ages have said no to God's plan. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord, what you're going to do. And do it now. Help them to see that one day he was led up Calvary's mountain and he died for their sins and he removes us from our iniquities. Thank you, dear Lord, for each one here that has made that trust in you. We worship you this morning. But perchance there's someone here that really has never done it, really never really any minute in their hearts and he's not real in their lives. Lord, I pray that you'll use this somehow. Speak to heart. Let them open their hearts and come to that one day in their life now when it is finished. Calvary, finished it all. And may they put their trust in him. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.